Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Here, we'll be exploring the people side of successful businesses, careers, and lives. We all have a story to share, and there's something to be learned in every story. Join us to learn from authors, business leaders, thought leaders, and people just like you to uncover the latest ideas, resources, and tools to help you become more effective at work and life. As it turns out, the secret to success is cultivating winning relationships. Business is personal and relationships matter. My guest this week tells me that he's lived four different lives. His first life was a professional actor, writer, director, and producer in New York City and London. His second life, he worked as a specialist trainer for the New York City Police Department. And in his third life, he was a freelance journalist on assignment throughout Europe for BBC Radio and other UK media. But it's his latest life that I'm particularly interested in. And what he does now is serving as a speaker, consultant, trainer, and executive coach for global corporations and governments on respect, emotional intelligence, and cultural transformation. Greg Ward is also the author of the award-winning, best-selling business fable, The Respectful Leader, which we'll be talking about today. And he's the founder and executive director of the Center for Respectful Leadership. Now, one last interesting thing about Greg, he's also a little league umpire in his spare time. And he's found that in, ge in general, the children out on the field can usually be counted on to behave like respectful little adults. And the adults up in the stands can sometimes be counted on to behave like big, disrespectful children. So, Greg, welcome to the People First podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Morag. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Well, it's interesting in terms of your introduction about being a little league umpire, because my three sons, who are now all six foot tall, have been soccer referees since the age of nine, when they were only waist high. Oh, so wow. when you talk about the players being respectful and the parents being disrespectful, it amazed me just how much um, abuse they received, even from the age of nine, for a recreational soccer league. And it's so amazing. It, it, it's, it's shocking, isn't it? It's shocking. And, and uh, I even feel worse for your sons because there's usually only one referee out on, the, on a soccer field, or maybe mm -hmm. two. There's yeah. the line judge and, and the offsides judge. But it, it, at least in, in baseball, I'm hidden behind a mask. Mm -hmm. I've got padding on. And I might have a field umpire, and and one call is not going to make or break a game. Whereas in 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 football, soccer, one call could make mm -hmm. one one perceived bad call could make or break a whole game. And I would I would never do it. No, nope. I don't have the fortitude for it. Oh well, thankfully it's the one thing my boys learn, and maybe the accent helps. Is that in terms of stopping games and occasionally, thankfully only rarely, they had to send um, parents away to continue the game. But it brings me to your book, The Respectful Leader, because it seems like sometimes these poor habits continue in the workplace, even though we know that it should be different. It's really unfortunate that I think many of us, as we grow up and as we move into the workplace, we tend to bring the lessons of leadership that we had when we were children. Mm -hmm. And most of us, I don't know about you, but I had a mom and a dad who were great parents, but 
it was very much do as I say, because I'm your mother. Do as yeah. I say, because I'm your father. And they operated from a place of what we know of now is called command and control leadership. And what our research tells us is that that actually is, is very disrespectful, perceived to be disrespectful by most people. So when you do it to a child, that's one thing. But when you do it to an adult, they're going to perceive it as disrespectful. And eventually, over time, they're going to uh, shut down. They're going to fight back they're, or they're going to have issues with it. Or they're eventually just going to shrug their shoulders and not work very hard and not be very loyal. So disrespect, unfortunately, is fairly common in our workplaces. And, and my mission is to make people more aware of how powerful respect is and see if we can shift them out of their old leadership styles and into something newer and more productive. All right. So tell me more about that then. So what has your research shown about the importance of being a respectful leader and the impact it has on business and teams? Very interesting research that we've looked back over the past 20 or 30 years. And what we're seeing is that, yes, you can succeed in the short run by being a command and control or what's called a carrot and stick boss, where a carrot and stick is basically, hey, achieve the goal. I'll give you a reward. But if you don't, you're going to get a punishment. And both those leadership styles can work in the short term, especially if there are lives at stake. Mm -hmm. When I was a trainer for the New York City Police Department, uh, one of the things we worked on was how do you de-escalate uh, exploded situations in public? And uh, there were times where uh, having a quiet conversation with a suspect or someone like that uh, who, who is, uh, you're trying to arrest is not going to do the trick. Sometimes you have to take command and control the situation. But when lives are not at stake, what our research tells us is most people find that kind of leadership and carrot and stick to be somewhat disrespectful. And so what the research is telling us is, it, let's say I, uh, you're, uh, you work for me, Morag, just for argument's mm -hmm. sake. And I treat you in a way that you find disrespectful. Well, neuroscience kicks in here, and your reptilian brain tells you that you're under threat. It's not because I think I'm doing something disrespectful. In fact, what we've found is most leaders don't realize that they're doing something disrespectful. They're, they're just unconscious to, to their own behavior. But you're the one that matters here. Respect is in the eye of the receiver. Mm -hmm. So let's say I do something that you find disrespectful. Well, your amygdala, the... Uh, basically the drugstore of the brain will send a message to release a number of very powerful hormones. And there won't be a lot of cognitive thinking going on right then. You're going to feel under threat. You're going to have a feeling of disrespect and it's going to infect your body. So if I do that enough, you are eventually going to start ruminating about that. And 80% and of respondents to a major survey that came out fairly recently determined that 80% of us, if we're treated with disrespect, will waste time at work thinking about it, ruminating mm -hmm. on it. We will. 50% of us will go out of our way to avoid the person who disrespected us. We will, and what if, what if I'm your boss? I mean, you're going to avoid me? Uh, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of data out there that says disrespect is very, very costly. Now, the flip side is this. If I treat you in a way called the platinum rule, uh, I do unto you as you want to be done unto, Morag. Mm -hmm. uh, you are, that's me showing you respect in the way you want to be respected. Well, your amygdala will release... Uh, a hormone called oxytocin. You may have mm -hmm. heard of it. It's called yeah. the bonding hormone, the love hormone. 
So you'll have a feel-good feeling about me. And if I continue to do treat you in a way that you find uh, respectful, you'll put on a pair of sunglasses and across the lenses, it says respectful person. And every time you see me, you'll have a, what's called a confirmation bias that I'm a respectful guy. And so we'll have a terrific relationship because you're getting a little oxytocin every time you yeah. interact with me and vice versa. You're giving me respect too. So it's very infectious in the reverse. And all of our data shows us, and this is long-winded, I apologize. All of our data shows us that if you engage in certain basic fundamental habits of respect that are commonly agreed to around most people that they find respectful, you are going to be respected. And that respect is going to infect everything that's going on with your team or your organization. So by way of contrast, then give me some examples of those behaviors that are either going to trigger respect or potentially trigger disrespect. Sure. One of the myths out there is that uh, as a leader, uh, the people who work for you have to earn your respect. Mm -hmm. I, that is a mistake. That's an enormous mistake because what our research tells us is that if you as a boss demand that people respect you because you're the boss, they actually will do the opposite. When you demand respect, people will say, no, I'm not going to give it to you. They'll push back. But if you're, we call it a, a respectful do. There are seven of them. If you engage in what we call the first respectful do, which is to be the first to respect, no matter who the person is, and I'm basically talking about simple things like when you meet someone for the first time, saying, hello, it's a, it's a pleasure to meet you. How would you prefer to be addressed? Uh, would you like me to call you Morag? Would you like mm -hmm. me to call you Ms. Barrett? Or, or are you Dr. Barrett? Please tell me how you would like to be addressed. Guess what? Your brain lights up with oxytocin because mm -hmm. I've treated you, I've just asked you a simple question of what yeah. you prefer. And we love that. And, and we don't do enough of it. So it's something as simple as that can make the difference between feeling respected and disrespected. So lead me through the seven then. All so right. What about the first one, which is, it sounds like being curious and just asking, don't make assumptions about the people around you. Correct. And don't, there? and don't assume they're going to respect you first. Why don't you mm -hmm. go out of your way to treat them with respect in a way that they would consider respectful? Again, the platinum rule. So the second respectful do is around practicing what we call regular respect. It's the things we learned as children. Please. Thank you. Or would it be possible asking permission? Uh, simple things instead of just commanding people to do stuff. Now, again, in the military police department, command and control leadership works just fine. If we're in the middle of a firefight in the middle of uh, yeah. Afghanistan, we don't have time to have a conversation. Morag, what are your thoughts about this? And Greg, do you see it another way? Someone has to take control yeah. and order people around, and that's how lives are saved. But in the in in the work world, in 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 the non-combat world, uh, we find that the the simple niceties, what we call the common courtesies, really go a long, long way, regardless of who you're talking to. And that's the trick. You've got to be uh, practice uh, regular respect with just about everyone. So it's consistency that's important. Consistency, absolutely. Yeah. And and also this this uh, will carry over into your personal life when you're at the store, when you're uh, trying to buy a product uh, or you're trying to get a service done. You treat everyone with a little bit of common courtesy. It gets you so far. Now, the third one is all about transparency. 
and it's it's called um, behaving in a respect-worthy manner. Okay. Now, the, the example I often give is when uh, Marissa Meyer uh, was heading up Yahoo. Now, we can debate all day long of whether or not she should have taken that job. Quite frankly, I think Yahoo was on its last legs before she took the CEO position. But she took it. And then they were in the process of layoffs and all sorts of cutbacks, and it was an absolute bloodbath. But she refused to, in her town hall meetings, she refused to use those words, layoff, cutback. She would occasionally use reorganization. She would occasionally use words that never really got down to what was really going on. So when you're being respect worthy, you're being open and honest about what's going on, even if it's bad news, mm -hmm. because most people have what I call a really good BS detector. If you're trying to shine someone on and say some polite euphemisms when you really mean we're about to lay off 10,000 yeah. people, then uh, people will notice that. Their BS detector will go off and they'll say, you're not trustworthy. I can't, you're not being transparent. You're not giving me the information I need to survive. Now I'm going to jump forward to uh, number five. Okay. And now, the reason I'm jumping forward is because it's a lesson that I think most leaders need to learn about respect, and they don't. It's called getting your shift together. Okay. Shift happens to you. Shift happens to me. Shift happens to all of us. We have to got to get our shift together. And I'm not saying what I what you think I'm saying. I'm saying shift in terms of emotional shift. Okay. If you are a leader, I guarantee you that all the time, people are going to be coming to you with this problem and that problem and this challenge and this issue. And you're going to, if you're a human being, you are going to have emotional reactions to those problems. Some of them are going to be big problems, career ending problems. And if you lose your emotional shift and let it hang out all over the place, it's going to infect everybody you come into contact with. So you have to be mindful of your emotions. You have to manage them well. There's all sorts of techniques out there for doing that. I use meditation. I use taking a deep breath. Uh, my, my dear colleague, Cindy Burnham, taught, taught me about the power of taking very deep and focused breathing and how you can do that in, in a moment's notice, and it's no big deal. Uh, I treat uh, sometimes uh, big problems by putting them into perspective. I say to myself, is this the worst that could happen? Mm -hmm. Is the world going to come to an end? And by putting things into perspective, I'm better able to deal with them. I might even schedule them for another time. If, if I've got a problem on my desk that I can't handle in the moment, I'll open up Outlook and I'll open up a, an appointment, say three o'clock, handle this problem. Because I live my life out of out outlook. I don't know if you do the same. same here. If it's Everything. on the schedule, it happens. So that pausing and reflection time is critical. Critical. Especially now that we're working virtually and everything is turning into back-to-back -back Zoom calls, just taking those 10, 15-minute pockets right. can help us recalibrate, and to your right. point, get our shift together, ready yes. for the next interaction. Yes, yes. Okay. And the last one I want to bring up, I'm going to skip a few of the others, is about apologizing for disrespect. Mm -hmm. All of us are human beings. I guarantee you at some point in your career, you have said or done something that after you've said it or done it, you suddenly said to yourself, I shouldn't have done that. I made a mistake. 
And what we tend to do, because we are human beings, is hope and pray that the person wasn't bothered by it. Yep. And we don't go back to them and say, hey, you know what? I blew it and I'm sorry. So this seventh respectful do is to always apologize for disrespect. And there's a process for making an apology. It doesn't have to be a long process. It can be very simple. And it includes basically owning what you did. Say, Morag, I'm sorry. I said something a moment ago that was disrespectful, and it Im impacted you in a certain way. I'm pretty sure that you found it to be disrespectful. That, so it's key that you own it. It's key that you describe the, impact, the negative impact your, your mm -hmm. behavior had on the other person so they know that you know what you did and how it hurt them. And then you say something to the effect of, I'm sorry, and I'm going to do my best. That's never going to happen again. And I'm going to try to make it up to you. I mean, that's essentially the essence of an apology. And you'll notice what isn't there, Morag, mm -hmm. is an excuse. Yes. I, ne I never said, but. I never said, however, it's be I was disrespectful because I had a bad day. There was traffic. I had a problem going on. Because the moment you make an excuse, that apology is yeah. worthless. Absolutely you see it too often with leaders. You know, I didn't oh, mean it. Or just oh, yeah. toughen up, Greg. It's the way I am. You right. want to live right. with it. Right. Those it's the non-apology apology. You would have been better off not saying a word. Mm -hmm. So what our research tells us is, is if you're in a leadership position, and interestingly enough, this is more true for men than it is for women, and there's some pretty deep social, societal issues inside of there. But if a man in a leadership position apologizes, the amount of uh, uh, genuinely and sincerely without making any excuses, the respect for that man tends to go up by the people, even the people who they disrespected. For a woman, it's slightly different because a woman is often assumed in our culture and society to be more sensitive to what they have done and more willing to apologize. So what's happening is women are apologizing, quite frankly, too much. Yeah. And so they make the value of the apology less. Does that make sense? It does. It's interesting what you're saying, though, about a male leader taking the initiative to apologize, because I can imagine when you're coaching and working with leaders and teams, the internal dialogue is that's weakness. Yes. So it takes real courage and vulnerability to step up and step into that conversation. Exactly. And all the research that we've done and Brene Brown is doing on vulnerability is actually showing that, uh, that a, a, a good, strong, honest, genuine apology can work wonders to repair a relationship. It's when you don't make any apology at all and you keep engage, engaging in the disrespectful behaviors, that's when you're going to get into big trouble. So it's not rocket science, at least not for you and I. It's the foundation for my book, Cultivate, and the purpose of being an ally is that you have people's backs. You can be a truth speaker, etc. with the tough conversations, not just the easy ones. So if we know that children generally, and you described, described it in your introduction here, that they can be counted on to behave like respectful little adults, and yet when we become six foot tall, we behave like big disrespectful children, where does the disconnect happen? Stress. Okay. There seems to be a lot of research out there 
and uh, uh, doctor um, at Georgetown. Uh, her name escapes me for the moment, uh, but sh she has done a lot of research on civility. Uh, Christine Poraff. Oh, right. Christine Poraff at, at Georgetown. And she and Arizona State University have done a lot of research on civility and respect. And what they've found out is that as we move into the workplace and more and more requirements to perform are put upon us, the stress levels are higher and higher and higher. And one could argue that uh, it, the, the amount of stress that our social media and uh, 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 instant uh, need for being uh, agile and all that kind of uh, stuff that corporations are doing is putting enormous stress mm -hmm. on everybody. And so what usually happens is, uh, I like to modify that old saying, when the going gets tough, the, the tough get going. I say, when the going get gets tough, people get tough on each other. And they throw respect to the side. They shunt it to one side. And they say, I don't have time for these warm and fuzzies. I don't have time to mm -hmm. sing Kumbaya and be nice to everybody. And, I, and I, I always have to say, hold on, hold on a second. Let us not conflate niceness and respect. They are two different things. You can be very nice without being dis, uh, respectful. Mm -hmm. And you can be very respectful without being considered to be nice. It's nice that the two can go together, but it doesn't have to be that way. So I can imagine, Greg, that if when you're doing your keynotes, if you were to ask the audience who here thinks they're a respectful leader, most people are going to put their hands up. It's like we're all above average drivers, but statistically, no, we're not. That's right. The first step here, if I'm listening to you this conversation, you've piqued my curiosity. How do I find out whether I'm a respectful or a disrespectful leader? That's a great question. We actually have developed an assessment, okay. and the assessment is designed for three types of people, uh, an individual co contributor who can sort of assess where, where they are uh, in terms of being respectful or not, or a leader of some kind, supervisor, manager, senior manager, doesn't matter. And the third is for teams, uh, whether you uh, are respectful in your in your team behaviors. So we've developed, and they're, they're simple, uh, Likert scale, uh, for example, uh, I tend to uh, greet people even if I don't meet them, uh, genuinely and warmly with a hello, nice to meet, meet you. Always, sometimes, uh, rarely, never, that, that kind of scale. And so there are about 30 questions on the assessment. And by the end of it, then you get a kind of score of where you are. And most people fall into four quadrants. They're either completely oblivious. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they have zero emotional intelligence. They don't know themselves at all. And uh, we usually say, hey, you need to take one of our courses and you need to get a coach because sooner or later, you're going to derail yourself if you have it already. The second level is they have some awareness of the niceties and pleasantries, but they don't necessarily value it. The third level is they do value it. They're having trouble sometimes doing it on a consistent basis. And then finally, the highest level is where they are consistently behaving in a respectful way, regardless of with whom and regardless mm -hmm. of the situation. And, and that takes work. That, that takes practice. There are skills. There are techniques involved. But you can get there. Yeah, it's interesting because you talk here about leaders and as you get through an organization, I'm assuming that there's going to be then a correlation, a mental correlation between, well, I've got to this level because of the way I am. That's right. That's right. So how do you help shift that mindset of, yeah, and you may have got here in spite of. That's right. 
That's right. There are so many factors in most organizations that help us move up through the organization. And very often it's the unspoken, it's the unwritten factors like relationships with senior leadership, what is perceived as success in the organization and so on and so forth. It's the folks who are so arrogant to think that they have gotten into their top level leadership position on their own merits without any help from anybody else. Those are the folks I have the hardest time with Mm -hmm. because what they don't understand is that there there are innumerable variables, innumerable contributing factors that help them got to where they are, including their colleagues, the people who support them, you name it. There's all sorts of factors. And if you ignore all those things and just think I'm this wonderful human being and that's where I got where where I am, that's the point where you are going to derail big time. So all I can do with those kind of folks is say, look, uh, it's great that you've gotten to where you've gotten. Uh, How do you think that's going to work for you going forward? If you think it's going to work fine for you going forward and you're not interested Mm -hmm. in learning learning new techniques and maybe putting new skills in your tool belt, well, thank you very much, but I'm not going to be able to help you. Here's my invoice. Mm-hmm. But if you're willing to be open to the possibility that your own behavior and your own perceptions need need to be adjusted and upgraded and changed and you need to add new tools to your toolkit, then we can work together. Yeah. So it's really fundamental. Do they want to do it, do the work or not? If they do, great. If they don't, it's not worth it. So it's interesting because it's, it's easy to polarize this. And those yeah. extremes, thankfully, are uncommon. So for most of us, we're somewhere in that gray area of, yeah, mostly I'm respectful, but to your point, when I'm tired and I'm stressed, maybe I'm a little short, maybe I'm a little blunt, more blunt than I need to be. And your very first tactic was about, I have to go first. So as a leader here who isn't broken, but is maybe in the middle of the pack, but wanting to elevate their leadership impact, what are some of those go first tactics then that you would recommend? Reading the book would be one that I'm going to Yes, yes, thank you very much. Yes, you could get it at respectfulleader.com. Yeah. And all the links to Amazon, there's an audio version of the book as well. And I would say, yes, reading the book would be really helpful because it's a story. It's a fable. It's a really easy read. And uh, most people have told me they really enjoy the story. It's very realistic in the Mm -hmm. characters. I think the second thing is that uh, we would have to go to, I would advise them to go down and become more self-aware, to maybe start journaling their own behavior, take the time to uh, seek out uh, others' perspectives of of who they are. This is a very tough conversation that I often encourage my my clients to do, which is to go to their trusted colleagues and say, look, I need your unvarnished opinion of me. I'm trying to develop myself. And I'm curious in these particular areas, what do you think of my behavior? Am I, am I meeting a standard that most people would, would find respectful? Where can I improve? It's a very hard conversation to have, mm-hmm. but it is invaluable. It shows a willingness to, to listen to and be um, guided by the feedback of others. And if you're on that path, I, I think you're in good shape, regardless of how many times you might slip up. And uh, I think you'll be okay. It's the folks who shut down and say, I'm doing just fine. I don't need that. Those are the folks I worry about. 
Absolutely. And so here we are, we're in the middle of a pandemic, we're all working mm. remotely. And the advantage of video cameras, it can feel more intimate because I'm yes. seeing you in your office. Right. But it also can feel more disconnected because I'm actually just talking to the camera and the two-dimensional version of you. So in the last four months, what are you hearing from the teams and leaders that you're working with? Is respect going up, staying the same, getting worse in this virtual environment? That's a terrific question. Some of the things I've experienced is there is a little bit more respect in that, for example, have you noticed everybody signing off by waving goodbye? Yeah. Isn't yeah, that interesting? Yeah. It's it's because we know we're at we're at a distance from each other. We, you know, if we're in a meeting in a conference room, we would yeah. never walk out the door waving goodbye. Yeah. We never, would never, we'd never do it. But but somehow our brains know that we're at a distance from each uh -huh. other. So I have noticed, and and that's very respectful. It's a way of acknowledging someone when you wave goodbye. It's a very friendly gesture. So I like that. I think it's great mm -hmm. uh, when we all wave goodbye to each other. The other thing I've noticed is purely a function of the technology. Maybe you've noticed this too. It's hard to interrupt each other because the mic's cut out. The, there, there's a technological problem. So we may try to interrupt each other, but then there's this moment of, uh, okay, it, that's not going to work. So you tend to wait a little bit more, let the person finish what they're going to say, mm -hmm. and then go on to have your say, especially if it's a larger group. I don't know if you've noticed that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So, in a, in a room, we can all interrupt each other all the time. And that can be very, very, most people find that very, very disrespectful. But it's a little harder to do in a uh, virtual uh, room like this. So maybe that's the silver lining that's coming out of, or one of the learnings that's coming out of the current environment. Well, Greg, you know, I, as we're coming to the end of our time. What are the final message or messages that you want our listeners to leave with so that this conversation is complete. All right. Thank you for asking that. I'm all about trying to help people understand how powerful and important respect is. And it's something not to be feared. It, there are skills involved. And it's okay if you make mistakes. If, if you have the intention to be respectful, that's the most important part. You may not understand how to do it. You may not know the techniques. But if your intention is to be respectful, it will show. People will feel it. They will sense it. And that will make all the difference in the world. Okay, thank you very much. I'm going to make sure your contact information, etc., is wrapped around this video. But just to ensure, how can people get a hold of you and the book? Thank you so much. There's two ways to get a hold of me. You can reach out to my organization, the Center for Respectful Leadership. You'll find that online at respectfulleadership.org, O-R-G. Or you can reach me out through, through my book site, respectfulleader.com, which is, has all the links to the book. So there's many different ways to reach out to me. And I, I, I'm from New York, and I tend to respond instantaneously. Okay. The man who never sleeps much like Trippy <laughs> then. Well, Greg, thank you very much for your time today. I look forward to future opportunities for our paths to cross, and I wish you ongoing success and health. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. 
Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything, before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.